Hello everyone, welcome to Beyond the Adventure, a podcast exploring why people took on their own unique journeys and what they learned from their experiences. My name is Gareth Brown and thanks for listening. Today I have Brady Lawrence join me. Brady is a documentary filmmaker and cinematographer. I came across Brady after watching his film, How to Bikepack the Silk Road Mountain Race. We discussed the making of this particular film, his background in how he has progressed into his career in filmmaking, and more broadly, his passion for bike touring and bikepacking. Hey Brady, we're live. How are you? I'm doing all right. How are you doing? I'm very well, thanks. Very well. Yeah, thanks very much for uh, taking the time to to join me. Uh, I actually came across your profile uh, probably two or three months ago now, and then I just noted you down. I think I need to reach out to this guy, and it was when I was searching um, crazy bikepacking races, and then I found your video of uh, how to bikepack the the Silk Road mountain race, which was uh, which was pretty awesome. And then that kind of spiraled, and I started checking out some of your other stuff. I think uh, the most recent one I watched was You Can't Do It Alone, which was uh, very, very cool. Very, very cool. And um, and then I kind of started looking through Instagram and I'm like, holy shit, this guy is part self-adventurer, taking on his own uh, bike touring routes, part film shooter, uh, also writing articles in places like Bikepacking Journal and other places. So I feel like we could dive into a number of different areas. But I almost want to start broad, if that's okay with you. And yeah. maybe you can just uh, share a little bit around like what your passions are, because it seems like you've got a few and almost um, a bit more background. Like, where did these passions come from? Some of them more recent than others. Yeah, it'd be cool just to get like a holistic view of uh, yeah where all this is coming from. Yeah, uh, yeah, I can do that for sure. Um, I think the easiest place to start is probably with filmmaking because that's the one that goes yeah. back the farthest. Um, I got lucky. I went to a public high school in the States in North Carolina that happened to have a pretty solid video program. And it was a, a place for a lot of creative kids like me to kind of do something that, you know, not, not every school has something like that. And so from a pretty early age, probably like 14 years old, I had it in my head that I wanted to be a filmmaker. And oh, wow, that's, all, that's awesome. Yeah, so it's that's that's been a long, it's been a long time just trying to do that and kind of, yeah, basically I've, I knew for a long time that I, or felt pretty sure at least, that I wanted to get into filmmaking as a, as a career. And so I've always been pursuing that. I went to university for that. Um, and the cycling side of things, I would say, I guess I would break down sort of the confluence of all these things that I am really fired up about are, are, you know, visual storytelling and filmmaking, and then sort of bike, biking and cycling in general, but specifically how cool bikes are is just a means of general transit and commuting, and also what an incredible device they are for exploration and travel. Uh, so that's sort of the other side of this and and that started with this it's it's doing its last year but in the states there's a program called bike and build where you fundraise and the program partners with uh habitat for humanity or these affordable housing groups where you help build houses for low-income people oh wow and uh, it's changed a lot over the years, but there used to be eight routes. And so you'd set off, you'd ha- you had a sag wagon and everything, but it was this interesting way to, yeah, ride across the country. And so uh, in, in university, I did one of these trips and biked from the East Coast to the West Coast. And yeah, I was basically hooked after that. That was just such a, like, it was an amazing experience. It was, I, I just thought it was the best it just seemed like the best way to see a place. And it really, yeah, it was an incredible way to cross the United States. I, I hadn't been much far, like hadn't been very far past the Mississippi, <laughs> if that means anything to you. Mostly. Yeah, yeah, for it's sure. East Coast and never been out towards the Rockies. And, you know, now I live uh, on the West Coast in Seattle. Um, 
but yeah so those kind of things all came together and uh yeah ever since all that I've, I've you know it's not a it's never a perfect process certainly but anytime i can find ways to combine filmmaking with sort of adventure cycling or versions of cycling i i, I try to do it yeah yeah I, i've seen that because obviously you've, you've done some some work in music and, and also some like commercial work it's pretty cool i saw one of them where you did a bit of filming with like Sue Bird and Time and things, which is oh, pretty yeah. epic. Uh, but the, when, when was your like first moment that you can remember um, where you thought this could like really be a, an option for you in actually like uh, living, like ac- merging the two worlds of like outdoors, sport in some capacity, ideally perhaps cycling, but also the filmmaking. Like, was that already something at university you thought this is, this has really got a chance or did you have to do just a lot of film work in other industries or other areas first? How did you um, navigate that? The, the yeah. answer to that probably is like, maybe like yesterday, I don't know, like <laughs> very <laughs> recently. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's been an interesting process to do it. And to, um, I think there are, there are clear cut ways to do it than how I've done it. But I think, uh, uh, yeah, I, I worked it at Canyon Bikes for two oh, years cool. internally in Germany. Um, yeah. And so that was an interesting look for me, sort of how the bike industry functions from the inside. And and there I was doing a lot of mixed media, like a mix of writing and photo. They This is right before they really got very big was when I was yeah, there. Yeah. This was 2016, 2017. Yeah. Um, and so that was kind of a, that was an interesting place to like, see like, okay, how, you know, how do a lot of these films get made? Who's making them? And uh, yeah. And I think after that switching to freelancing, I went into that with sort of a, the idea that, you know, that you, I think there are some people that, you know, have, have just do bike stuff and they only do like you know big videos for bike brands or whatever but i sort of knew that i that's i didn't want to only do that uh, from the yeah. beginning and so basically this is all just to say that i went into switching back to freelancing with it in my head that it that i wanted to be mixed i wanted to have kind of a broader doing music video stuff doing um work for environmental nonprofits i knew that i wanted to have a, like a, a broader focus than than just on cycling, but it wasn't until making the movie about uh, the first Atlas mountain race. Yeah. That was kind of this where I was like, Oh, you can, you know, that that was a cool experience, a really cool experience in that it was, that was the first time I was like, okay, bike packing movies that people are into this. I want to watch them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so that's, that's been cool to see. And, and, it's really been cool to see how that whole community has grown a lot over the years. And yeah, with people like the guys at uh, bikepacking, like Lucas and Lucas Winsenberg and Logan and Miles and Neil Belchenko, all those guys have, they've really done incredible work to grow that and to educate people. And, and now it's fun because I'm maybe going on a little too long in this, but it's so interesting when I first got into this kind of stuff it, it sort of existed right bikepacking as a concept yeah um, but certainly it was bike touring right it's like that sure. was the, yeah. the understood nomenclature or whatever and you know I, we did four pannier trips and everything and even if we had like a little frame bag or something and I, I still maybe I still just call it bike travel all the time now, but it is interesting now. All, all some friends who are excited will basically want to get into bike packing and will ask all these questions about bike packing. And I find myself more often than not, if uh, if any of the bike packing journal people are listening to this, I'm sorry, but being like. <laughs> sounds like you really just want to be into bike touring it sounds like <laughs> yeah you yeah. should get racks and, and panniers and not that the differences in names are that important but it's 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 cool that they've made it such a thing that now it's almost like superseding the whole you know whatever 100 year history of, of bike yeah. touring <laughs> yeah it's wild i actually only got into bike touring uh 
four years ago. And up until that point, if I'm brutally honest, I didn't know anything about it uh, yeah. or bikepacking, like neither of which. So I just decided, I was like, hey, I just really want to, I almost got to the point of just thinking, oh, I want to do this, uh, a trip on my bike without even knowing like the terms. I actually put a pannier on a road bike, which was a terrible idea. Uh, right. the, I mean, uh, but you can do it. It doesn't matter, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Except like when I, I cycled from uh, Poland down to Croatia it was my first one. And I didn't really know awesome. much much about it. And, uh, and I very quickly realized that the route I designed was not going to work for my uh, road bike that's for sure and yeah. also when i was going up hills like because of the weight i just had on the back my front tire would always like lift off the ground up, I was, yeah. yeah i'm just like oh my god what have i done and after like my after the third day i was like oh my god i might just i might just have to get rid of this bike and just buy a new one and i was like but i can't afford it this is insane yeah. but um but anyway it, it actually like made me appreciate it even more i just slightly saw back towards the end but then afterwards, I really started getting into it and like looking, oh, yeah, there's, there's such a, a world here. And then, yeah, when you see like bikepacking.com uh, and stuff, you're like, wow, this is a full on really big community. But I know what you mean between um, now people are like really, they've got opinions. Like I went on a, on a slightly bike touring, like just a weekend with my friend last year. He put a, he put a picture up and like, and both of us have like, don't have many followers on Instagram. It's not like we... Um, we're, we're hoping for a lot of people to comment on it and some guy just like said bike touring sucks man <laughs> get, into, <laughs> get into get into bike packing it's like yeah. all right i mean i'm just out here on my bike just sees the pictures of some uh paneers he's like yeah paneers suck man and i'm like oh okay yeah. <laughs> we're living crazy. in this we're living we're living in this world are we all right yeah. um yeah yeah no, cool. that sounds like an amazing trip poland poland Croatia. that that was uh that was quite the quite the yeah it was very fun. It was very fun. Uh, and as I said, it was kind of my first time doing it. So just went there alone, took a t- break from work. It was just a really, it's also just a really nice process to go through um, being alone as well. It was the first time I'd probably been for that period of time, uh, like in a mode like that. I mean, I know that you actually did, were also did one in Europe. I mean, you've, maybe you've done more than a few, but uh, you, I think you went Morocco, uh, Spain, all the way to Germany. Is that is that right? What was your yeah. route? I can't remember. I think it's, yeah, yeah. Um, it was kind of mixed, but it was, I did kind of these loops. I did a sort of loop around Morocco and then crossed over into Very Spain. Cool. And then I was going to do all the way back up to where I was living in Germany at the time. Um, yeah. But the weather in France was just like only rain in the forecast. And oh, so gosh. I, I ended up doing kind of more of like a loop back into Spain to Madrid uh and then i flew from madrid to berlin and then by yeah from like basically berlin all the way back to far west germany where i was living in koblenz yeah oh, so i amazing. skipped i skipped france so i've got uh, i want to go yeah. back and do france <laughs> yeah well if you come back to europe you i'm in switzerland now so you're more than more than welcome oh, yeah. to, to to pass through um yeah, what what was your feelings like when you did your first bike touring, bike travel, bike packing trip? Like, what what are the things that for you uh, attracts you most to that kind of world, based on your own past experience, but also through some of the films that you've made? Because uh, we can maybe talk about some of the films in a second. But yeah, it'd be good to get your perspective on what the biggest draws are. Yeah, I think that I mean, you know, people there's like the oft quoted, and I'm going to destroy the quote, but there's a, a Hemingway quote about how bikes are the best way to see places just because it's like, whatever, it's faster than walking, but it's much, much slower than driving, especially now. Uh, and I think for better or for worse, that kind of nails a central part of it, which is just that, you know, walking is really slow. <laughs> and if you <laughs> wanted to walk from, you know, wherever, if you want to walk across to the U S you know, that's like your take, I don't know how long that takes, but like a year, um, yeah, take a long and time. you can do it on a bike and, you know, whatever, and, you know, if you're really, uh, one of these Ram people right across America, race across America, they do it in like whatever seven days, but that's, yeah, you know, that's insane. Isn't that's it? Insane. Yeah. Um, yeah. no, but, uh, I think it's, it's just cool because you can really, it, it like affords a certain level of spontaneity is a part of it that I've always loved and that you are riding at a pace where you're really able to notice things along the way. You're really able to interact with people along the way. And, and that opens up this window 
to meet people in the places that you're traveling, meet local people, meet people who are sort of off the beaten path, so to speak. And by that, I just mean like off the freeway where, you know, no one, especially in places like the States and places like, uh, like the interior of Spain, where there are all these towns that, that people just don't visit anymore. And so if you come through on a bike and you're a tourist, I mean, it's just a blast. People are so, well, you know, it's not never, this is never universal, but generally speaking, people don't see bike tours in a lot of these places. And when they do see, they're like, generally speaking, in my experience, extremely friendly and and want to talk and want to, and so you get to meet all these people and get a, a version of an experience that can be extremely different than traditional travel. Uh, and so that, that sort of is, yeah, one of the, the biggest draws. And then there's also the whole side of it that this may be obvious, but just cycling's really fun. <laughs> and, you know, it's like, there are obviously sides of it that are hard and can be not fun. You're like much more exposed to the elements, but, I, you know, I've done this, I obviously am kind of into that side of it, of the whole type two concept. Yeah. Um, but then there's the whole side of it. That's just like, you know, you do some huge climb in the mountains and you get to the top and it's a sunny day and you have, you know, whatever, 10 kilometers straight downhill. And there's nothing better than that. You just feel like you're flying and you have, and I'm going on here a little bit, but the other side of it is just the, like, feeling of total independence is a thing that I have not experienced in other parts of my life where depending on how you do it, I've just done two versions of this where I like sold most of my stuff. I no longer was paying rent and I just was on my bike with, you know, stove, camping gear, everything. And that, that feeling of like, Oh, I like, I I could do this for a year. I could just do yeah. whatever I want, go wherever I want for kind of a long time and only spend a very small amount of money doing it. Um and so that feeling of of sort of like you can do whatever you want, anything's possible. Um that's that's also and that's like a that's like quite specific. You obviously don't have to do that version of it to <laughs> really get all the a lot, most of the benefits of bike touring, but that's also a side of it for me that I've brought, I've really loved. Yeah, I agree with all that. It's, uh, that's a really w- nice way of summarizing. Um, yeah, all of those are different aspects of, of, of bike touring. Were there any moments in particular across either the trips that you've done that like really stand out to you? Maybe it's like a person you met or a, um, or a situation which challenged you almost on the opposite ends of the spectrum, like one being like, Oh my God, this is literally the best time of my life. And then equally, what am I doing? This is a bit silly. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the one that immediately pops into my mind in the good side, that's like kind of a unique thing is I did this trip from Key West, Florida to the Arctic ocean in Alaska. So that was like a 8,000 wow. mile bike trip with four friends in 2015 called keys to freeze. So this was, this was my first like real attempt at combining sort of environmentalism with cycling with, with filmmaking. Uh, and so that was, that was a really important trip in terms of figuring out how, yeah, yeah whether there was any sort of longevity in this kind of work, so to speak, but it was also just a really fun trip we raised funds for the national parks conservation association in the states uh and tried to go to as many national parks as possible but within that uh we went um into yosemite national park yeah and we were on sort of the eastern side of the sierra nevada mountains and we were there at a time of year i think in may late may maybe where it was still snowed over but the word in town was that they were going to open the pass. It's called Tioga pass. And, uh, yeah, basically we ended up waiting a couple of days instead of trying to go around and we got sort of lucky in that they opened the pass and we were able to do this unbelievable. I think it's like 10 miles 
5,000 feet of elevation uh, <sighs> climb through like the Alpine, basically with oh, no gosh. cars, because we were able to get around first. And it was just, it's all, you know, it's one of those things I'll never forget. It was this yeah. breathtaking thing where we were just, it was just us out there. Eventually they let cars through and the, you know, it was kind of cut a little bit, but yeah, the first whatever section of that, getting to do that and go up. And it was something, you know, I'd never done anything like that before. I'd never been to Yosemite. I had spent very little time certainly on a bike in, in the Alpine. And so, yeah, that was one of those things where you're like, how is this happening? Like what, how did, <laughs> this is unbelievable that we're just in this car free kind of paradise going over one of America's more famous roads. Um, yeah. So that was, that was a cool one. Yeah, That's a that sounds really, one. yeah, that sounds really special. Really special. Yeah. How did you find that first time trying to mix the the filming with just like the actual trip in and of, of itself um i mean i guess because a couple of the films that you've done more recently you could probably be a bit more stationary and you can kind of we get to know what your process would be but you can kind of plan what's coming a little bit more i guess but if you're filming while also doing like how was that as a experience and also did you, like how much extra gear does that mean for you to carry like uh, it depends on how like how how many cameras and stuff you need to take? Like, yeah. yeah. What 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 goes into all that? And also, are your friends getting pissed off with you, like when yeah. you're just like trying trying to film them, and they're like, "Ah, oh, come on, man, just give it a rest." That's what I was gonna say. I I feel like I was having a great time with it because <laughs> I just like doing it. But I definitely had to like tread lightly and 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 really be almost like political and thinking about okay, like. Can I ask for another shot? Can I <laughs> can I get another angle of this? Like, oh, is this the corner where I want to use my like one match, so to speak, of the day where I can ask everybody to go back down and re-ride, oh, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Like if yeah. it's worth it. So yeah, there's a lot of thinking about that. Um, but for the most part, it was that that trip was very different from how a lot of this stuff gets made now because it was right on the i'm sure other people were doing it much better than how i was doing it at the time but just it, there wasn't as much information out there about and cameras just were like right about to start getting really small mm. uh and so yeah it was kind of interesting it was that was that was like four panniers i had a huge pannier up front my bike was so horribly weighted because of this, but a huge pannier with like three lenses or something, this like cinema camera. Oh gosh. And all these batteries, tons of memory cards. And I had a tripod across the top. So I, and like microphones. Yeah. I like had no idea what I was. Well, you know, I don't know. Maybe it was, I, I say I had no idea what I was doing. It wasn't that crazy, but it was just my yeah. bike weighed 130 pounds, I think. Oh, and gosh. So I just had this behemoth of a surly disc trucker that, yeah, rode for 8,000 miles. It made the whole way. The camera gear made the whole way. We shot like five five short videos along the way for this uh, platform called Narratively. So it was, yeah, it was cool. It was a, it was a very positive experience. Originally, I thought I was going to make a feature documentary about the trip, but I did. I uh, proved uh, at whatever, whenever I finished that trip, 20, like five, 26 years old, getting my head around six months of footage and how to turn it into a narrative was yeah. too, too much of a, too much of a beast for me to handle. Fair, fair play. Can you almost like go back a bit and talk me through your like, phases almost of, how you've come about making films like that era there, that time seems like, as you said, you, you ended up focusing on a, a range of shorts, but almost like what was, what's been the different phases as, you, as your career has mm. progressed? Like during university, I guess you learned like the fundamentals, but when was like maybe the first short you might've filmed and produced or like, and then even second to that outside of just the world of filming and putting the stuff together, like how do you actually even go about working with partners and, and just pulling it all together it just seems like a really complex world especially for someone who is in a kind of a freelance position it's uh, it's quite daunting almost <laughs> yeah yeah it's certainly 
not straightforward at all. Uh, there's no template. There's no real established path to doing this yeah. stuff. And so that can make it pretty difficult. Um, I, yeah, so I studied it in university. I didn't go to a film school, but my, my university had a media production program, which was fun. And it was a, that was a nice way to kind of, you know, get used to things like getting feedback and critiques and, and that side of filmmaking and also all the, a lot of the technical stuff. Um, but then I, I got sort of lucky with my, my, I got a job out of college immediately for a, uh, reality TV company actually. Oh, wow. That's fun. Kind of fascinating, um, and an interesting place to start. And so I got to, yeah, just immediately have a, you know, a paid job going around. I was mostly making sizzle reels is what they're called, which is like how a production company tries to sell a show to a television network. So I would Ah. sort of make previews for, for shows, uh, and so, yeah, that was a really interesting, cool way to yeah have a more, I was technically freelance, but that was, it was super consistent. So um, that was basically my full-time job. And that transitioned into working on a documentary that the company's founder was, was starting. And so, yeah, that was kind of a, a great way to start and to sort of hone what I thought my skills were, what I might be good at or what I wanted to do. And then, um, I guess I would say I'm probably pretty ideologically motivated. And so after doing that for about two years was when the idea for this long bike tour popped up. Um, a friend of mine, one of my best friends really wanted, like, wasn't super thrilled with what he was doing for work and wanted to, shake things up and do this trip. And so, uh, and I was, you know, sort of in a point where I was like, you know, I could use something different as well. And so, yeah, we, that's how that originally came up with, with that trip and how I sort of switched over to, yeah, that was the first time I ever really did something that was like, okay, we're just going to try this and, and see if it works, see if it sticks. Uh, and yeah, so that was kind of a second phase of trying to make something work and obviously that that was not like a that was a money losing endeavor um, <laughs> yeah i can imagine we we i think we it wasn't like terrible we donated i think ten thousand dollars to the national parks and oh, so wow, it, was, it, awesome. it was generally like definitely like a, a very positive thing and while i was on that trip is actually when i got the job at canyon and so from there that was kind of the the stepping into like being pure bike industry for about two years. Uh, yeah. And then again, deciding that, you know, wanted to go back and, and live on the West coast of the States, live closer to mountains and yeah, start freelance again and, and pick up more sort of a larger, broader variety of, of work. Yeah. And how do you go about that now in terms of approach? Because I mean, to the outside looking in, you, it seems like you do get to work on or you are working on a lot of passion projects, working a lot with uh, sometimes with charities, sometimes with really um, forward thinking brands or, or races. Do you almost like have to, are you still in a position where you just have to kind of come up with a concept maybe and pitch it out to a, a few different organizations or are you now in a position even potentially where sometimes they're, they're coming to you or is there just kind of a, a middle ground where there's you and maybe a few others in a, in a network that you kind of start to build up and, and you can kind of support each other as you're all navigating through this. Yeah. Like how does it all come together? Yeah. That's a great question. Um, it sort of, it's, it's a mix of those three things more or less. And I think in the freelance world, there are a lot of different ways to get work. There are a lot of different ways that people do it, but specifically, from my experience of it, I think part of it is just the, like the, the, there is the version that you're talking about where you come up with an idea and you pitch it and you see if there's money out there for it, whether it's through a nonprofit or whether it's through a bike brand. So that's a thing that I do as well. I don't do that a ton. Um, but 
that's definitely a part of the process and an important part of the process is trying to get those ideas out there. And for example, sometimes maybe you'll pitch something and it won't get picked up, but people in that brand or that space might come back later and be like, oh, you know, actually we think you'd be good for this project that we're trying mm, to do. Yeah, that's good. So that's the kind yeah. of thing that happens. And so, um, yeah, I think it is a mix of those two things. And a lot of it, especially within cycling, is just kind of being a cyclist and being in that space and having friends and, and people in that world and just talking about ideas with people. And I find that a lot of it does come from that. Um, but for example, the two uh the silk road doc and the atlas mountain race doc those were both ones where they they knew they wanted a film and approached me mm. about potentially making it um and then obviously from there you it becomes a pretty collaborative creative process um so yeah those are kind of like ways that it happens and and then the other side of it is just kind of the random there's, you know, so many weird kind of websites or platforms where if you're in a large enough urban area, basically where people will post jobs or gigs and you yeah, can apply to them and try to get them. And so that's the side of it. That's sort of, a, it can be like slightly less creative. Obviously there's creative within that, but there's, yeah. there's a side of it where you're kind of like, Oh, Hey, like, not a lot going on this month. Let's see, like, can <laughs> I see hop in and, you know, operate a camera on whatever kind of thing or, um, which those are cool too. I mean, that's how, that's part of how I ended up shooting that thing with Sue Bird was, um, Time Magazine was coming to town and they needed, uh, they basically needed another camera operator to, show up and like, you know, work a gimbal and, and help do the interview and do all those things. And so that's the other side of it where it's just kind of, you know, there is this creative, I mean, again, that is also a creative process, but there is this like sure. version of it where it's like, okay, go shoot this documentary. You are more or less in control. And then you have to really think about like, how do you tell this story? And then there's the other side where there's a producer and there's it's all sort of laid out and set up a little bit more and and my task as a camera operator director of photography is to go in and execute on someone else's vision and so yeah that makes sense i mean it's uh it's, as you said it's probably good to have a balance like that right now plus you can kind of learn from different people understand what they're doing but uh I, i'm sure there's a lot of I mean, personally, it, would, it sounds a little bit almost. I could be more exciting to do some of those projects, like the Silk Road and and, and Atlas. Can you could you almost just like talk me through like what the creative process looks like for something like that? Because um, especially when I watched the Silk Road one, unfortunately, I haven't seen the Atlas one yet. But like, I really liked some of the rawness of it all. Like, I really liked the those moments where like you capture like real moments, you know, like when people are just like having ice creams and like, uh, and then there's other moments where like you can get the real emotion of like some of the individuals. And it's very clear that like there's a couple of stories coming through from a, a few individual people, but like, yeah, like how are you, what's your approach there? What's your process for like thinking about how all this is going to come together? Like how much scouting even of, a, of the route would you even need to do beforehand? And how do you even get around for something like the yeah. Silk Road, where it's like really, really tough terrain. I, I think I saw one clip in you showing like the going up this like real big vertical um, ascent that was just like barbed wire from the Cold War. So it's yeah. like, yeah, like how do you navigate and know about all of this? Like, what's the approach? Yeah, uh, that was a, that that was a really fun project for kind of two reasons. Uh, one is that there's all there's already a film made about the race and so um yeah there's already i thought what was a really good baseline of this film where's a race recap uh where they really got into sort of the how the race the creator of the race nelson trees um it was a it was sort of focused on how he came up with the race and then the racing itself and really focused mm. on the most competitive people and so when the opportunity sort of arose or discussion started of okay should we, do we want to make another film about this race i was i came into it being like this is a 
cool opportunity to really not focus on sort of the pointy end, as they say, of the race, not not focus on as much on performance on you know just the like it's super cool it is like the people who are hyper focused and hyper competitive are amazing and i can you know i'm blown away by riders like safian and like jenny tuff who is a friend and yeah and all these people it's i'm not knocking them at all i was and even within their experiences i just went into it sort of with this idea that can we focus on all the weird little things that happen to people through the whole field because that's a really cool thing about these bikepacking races is they're not separated by professionals and amateurs and they're really you know there are a couple professionals but even then there aren't that many and so everybody is experiencing slightly different versions of the same thing and everybody yeah i was just really wanting to look into all the weird uh sort of eccentricities that go into these kind of races because they are they're crazy and they're crazy for the person that just gets in under the time limit and they're crazy for people that like Sifian who you know do it in eight days or whatever um (laughs) and so yeah that was sort of the plan from the beginning and uh it was the plan from the start to organize it thematically um to not do a chronological storytelling because with these races uh if you only focus on the front like let's say so this was i was the only camera person for this race and so if you if you had a whole team sort of following the front the middle and the back you could obviously get a lot more footage and maybe cover it in a more chronological way but across but if that if you're not doing that, if you are only focusing on like who's going to win the race because they're it's so isolated and because yeah. it's so separate, you basically end up by default having to focus on two people uh, for the majority of it. And so from immediately, it was kind of in the discussion like let's not do that let's like make this non-chronological really space it out and and do it by these themes of all these weird things and some of the themes were planned from the beginning from you know my experience with this kind of stuff and other others kind of arose throughout but as to the organization side of it uh, and and scouting and stuff like that that really is uh nelson trees who lives in kyrgyzstan is the race organizer you know he knows the route backwards yeah uh, back and forth and is yeah he just knows it all and a lot of like that infrastructure is organized around him and at least with his races he has kind of uh media rules in place anyway so like if i even if i had wanted to for example tell a story about a specific rider and wanted to get my own car and drive around and film that he's um like he does not really accept that in his races Uh, and so within that race i was in he had like two three media cars and so i was in cars and then when you see stuff like the barbed wire stuff that's just me like hiking basically just like putting all my gear on and and going for a walk up a mountain um wow that's pretty tough (laughs) yeah yeah so but i mean the other side is we how many flat tires did we get? We were just in this four by four and just so many flat tires, just this car really? just beat absolutely yeah. destroyed throughout the course of wow. trying to film this thing. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's a, it's those, the logistics of those things are crazy. And, but you know, you have 16 days to make a 30 minute film. And so it's still a little nerve wracking, but it's not so crazy. You can kind of get your head around and be like, be patient. You, yeah. you can figure this out yeah exactly what's kind of what some of the this seems like a pretty crazy one but out of some of the races that you've been exposed to which are um yeah which have been some of the the kind of craziest that you've seen and actually a follow-up question is more like what have you almost taken from some of these riders especially the ones that are doing this stuff frequently uh i know that you said you're friends with um with jenny and, and maybe a few others but like 
yeah, interesting to get like your perspective or what you think their perspective might be. Yeah. Uh, the craziest one in a lot of ways is the Silk Road race. Um, yeah. And it's mostly crazy from, well, a thing that Nelson talks about that I think is interesting is he used to kind of think about it and who he lets into the race based on cycling experience, cycling experience. But actually now he undervalues that and oh. overvalues like if you're a mountaineer who hasn't done a bikepacking race you're gonna get in before someone who's done like uh and i sorry nelson if i'm speaking for you here um <laughs> if you're listening to this but like generally like if someone's done sort of long distance road tours for example um but has no mountain experience because that's like the crazy thing with the race like it the cycling is a little bit technical but ultimately you're on dirt roads a lot of the time yeah. so it's not especially technical cycling the problem is the exposure you're going over these passes that are at whatever like four thousand meters i think i'm gonna mess up the numbers but like fifteen thousand yeah. feet um yeah. and so you're going over these huge passes and when you're doing that kind of stuff and you're not you know if you're a mountaineer you know that if you're going up that high on a mountain you need to be super paying attention to weather and like what's happening yeah. with the weather and if you need to like not be on the top and so um yeah people frequently in that race find themselves in very difficult situations where you're on top of a pass in the middle of the night you know which is another thing that's like wow. crazy and you have to oh my gosh take cover because a snowstorm comes in so there's stuff like that within that race that makes it that heightens it to kind of a different level obviously that doesn't always happen but um, but on that, I think you, I can't remember what the exact number was, but you said like, it's it's a pretty decent percentage of people that don't finish. Oh yeah. I think yeah. We, that year, majority of people did not finish. Wow. Um, wow. And what happens at the end yeah, is just really like a hard. pickup car comes around towards the end and just starts picking people up, but they've got trackers no. on, right? You only no, get picked just... up if you are in like a total emergency. Really? If you issue that oh, to us. Otherwise you just leave. If people do different things, some people stick around until the... <laughs> fishing party some people will if they drop out they'll just bike to the nearest town go to the airport leave you know like it's kind of oh wow okay yeah. fair. Oh, it's very much these things are like super you're you're like extremely independent um yeah, the race organization yeah. is obviously like a good and in place for emergencies but short of emergencies you have to be totally self-sufficient yeah wow and even these have wow. more organization for example than something like the tour divide in the states where there's basically no race organization it's all uh it's all independent sort of by necessity there's too much you go through way too much varied state and public land through it to, through it ever yeah, to, possibly to put structure official. up yeah, yeah 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 exactly wow. um and yeah in terms of learning from those racers i think it's so <laughs> I'm like sort of interested in racing myself, but I'm mostly just like to do it because I think not racing, but like bike travel and bike adventure because it's fun. Right. Yeah. And yeah. I think from spending all this time with these racers and talking to them so much about it, it is like, it can be very kind of like intoxicating a little bit to hear them talk about about the experiences they have when they push themselves so far beyond what they think they're capable of. Right. And I think, you know, anybody who does kind of endurance sports or endurance adventures gets a taste of this stuff. I was a competitive distance runner for a really long time. And so I like can conceptualize it on a small scale on a smaller scale, but there is this like hearing them talk about, about the like not sleeping and just trying yeah. to see how hard you can go and, and finding that, you know, knife edge balance between, Oh, the wheels are really going to come off versus, <laughs> okay. I've found this like sweet spot where I'm holding it together and I'm kind of on this like higher plane. It's cool to listen to. It's really, it's, I find it fascinating, obviously, since I like making these things and it definitely, makes it it does something to me it makes me think about how uh 
I also want to try it. And I haven't done it yet, but at some point I, I want to try one of these, uh, one of the bigger, one of the bigger bikepacking races and, and, and see what it's like. We'll see. Yeah, no, I, I, I hear you a lot. And I think it's, yeah, it almost like, I haven't done anything that crazy. Like I've, I've done the, I did my first ultra a few years ago, but that was okay. like around 51 kilometers and, and quite, That's and you, your brain. Yeah. And, it, and we did, it was like, but the distance isn't as bad. It's just, it's the elevation I just wasn't trained for. We had to do yeah. like 3000 meters up and 3000 down. And honestly, <laughs> coming down my, my knees were just like in bits and like, and mine essentially, what, what was funny is I did it at the same time as my, um, as a colleague of mine and he did like the hundred kilometer. So when I told people afterwards together with him, it sounded like I did the fun run, <laughs> but, um, it, like, but it, but it, it, you do enter a different space mentally, I find. And, um, I don't know exactly the, the science behind it, but understanding people's different perceptions and how like your brain almost just opens up to, to new thoughts and new feelings. There is just something super unique about the kind of endurance sport world that is, um, that's really fascinating. And you can see how people can get hooked despite all of the, the hardships that you have to kind of uh, go under. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's crazy. It's, it's cool. And it's cool that it creates, it just creates a community, which I think is yeah, interesting. Yeah. All these people having this kind of shared suffering experience, uh, you know, whether that's the healthiest form <laughs> of creating community, you know, I'm not sure, but um, it certainly is. It's cool that it, it, even though a lot of these people are super competitive with each other, that it's really, that everybody's having these kind of exceptional shared experiences and it's it's shocking how welcoming that community is and how open it is and uh that's something that i've also really appreciated about all of it is everybody just seems super friendly there isn't really you know having um worked with professional cyclists and this like makes sense like within road and mountain biking um that's very different right there is this like inherently exclusionary nature to it um where because they're sort of they have bigger platforms so many people are vying for their time you know i think they inherently have to close themselves off a little more to have some level of privacy but the effect of that obviously is that they're kind of separate you know these like pro road racers whatever that they have their entourages and and they're separate and you know you can't fault them for that it makes sense but it's cool at these things where it's like, yeah, the person who's the best and other people, they're all friends. They're all hugging. Mm. Um, they're all sticking around, hanging out with people who, you know, again, I keep saying Sufjan, but he's just a good example. You know, he'll finish and he'll like stick around for like eight days, you know, oh, after, that's he, amazing. after that's he finished so for however many days where, yeah. but he finished so far ahead of people. Right. But yeah. You know, that he'll just like hang out for at least a couple of days and, and see people who finished and, and, you know, kind of be part that's of so, that, That's so nice. And I, especially when you're in your film, like when you see those moments and there are like tears in people's eyes when they finally cross the line, it, it is just such a wonderful moment for like someone, as you said, like Sophie Ann to, um, to also just uh, have the opportunity to be in those moments. So it makes sense, but uh, yeah, it's, it is very unique. And, um, and I guess, I mean, it's still not that many people like statistically who have the opportunity to be, that have taken part in this type of thing, but even just going to watch some of this stuff, if you possibly can, depending on the terrain, uh, it would be interesting for people. Yeah. yeah. Um, I guess looking ahead, you've got a range of, you probably you won't, maybe want to do a race of your own, uh, but what else is kind of burning passion, some areas of focus some things that you really want to be taking on in the next few years, um, in and around this space or, or anything other? Yeah. Uh, I definitely am scheming. I haven't come up with exactly what I want it to be yet. Um, but I, I want to do another longer tour, longer trip, uh, whether that's, you know, three months or six months or something like that. I'd love to do something like that. I'm, I haven't really, like part of me wants to do the uh, Tory divide route in the States from yeah. Banff down to Mexico. Another part wants to just go down and do some of these 
uh, routes that bikepacking is putting up in South America. Um, but so I really haven't hope focused on that, but I'm the, the itchy feet are back. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I've, I hear I've you. been in Seattle for, and you know, Seattle's an awesome place for, um, being able to go out and, and do the kind of one week weekend warrior type adventures just because the access here is un- unbelievable. Um, but after five years, I'm definitely a little bit like, all right, I gotta, sure. I gotta do something longer. So trying, definitely trying to scheme something like that. But in terms of um, filmmaking, I'm trying to put together a project about uh, focused around Seattle. But basically, the idea that uh, Seattle is an interesting city to me in a lot of ways because, uh, at least compared to a lot of other places in the United States, it's it's extremely progressive minded. Uh, city and one of the side effects of that is they there's a lot of effort to kind of make seattle a greener city to rewild Mm -hmm. parts of seattle and especially the relationship uh in the pacific northwest with salmon is this kind of super iconic and really important um fish to the history of the region and so there are all these efforts to you know tear down dams to fix kind of watersheds and and do this and I'm, I'm trying to, I'm basically trying to start a working on a doc about Seattle was huge parts of Seattle were wilderness, like 150 years ago. It's within the remembered sort of, it's within the collective memory of people who live here that their grandparents kind of told them, you know, or great grandparents were around when, you know, huge swaths of it were still just forest. And so, and, but then within that time span, there's already efforts to kind of restore parts of it to wilderness. And so I, within that, I find that there's this really exciting tension of, of is there a way that we can do this kind of in within sort of the confines of our modern urban societies where we can, we can figure out ways to restore natural habitats and restore the natural world. Um, and so, that's kind of hundred percent. That's super project. interesting. Yeah, that's awesome. I've um, I recently read. Uh, I'm not sure you heard of it. A book called uh, The Nature Fix, um, mm-hmm. which is really good. And there's a whole chapter on this around oh, like that, the uh, rewilding uh, nature. But it's just it's it's quite um, the lever is just like more like study based, but then like it has a nice balance of bringing through personal stories as well, and uh, and it focuses in on a number of different cities and like what they've done and like. I think uh, like Singapore is like one of the ones that really, like stands out one of the most. Like, they've got like real objectives and milestones about um, how how much like, how, like I think I can't remember what the number was. I'm gonna I'm, I'm definitely gonna get this wrong, but I hope people will understand that that what I'm getting at. It's uh, they went from something like thirty five percent or something of the city would have been within like four hundred meters of like real green space, and then now it's above sixty percent within the space oh, wow. of like t- 10 or 15 years. And the objective is to basically ensure that everybody is within a certain radius of real green space. That's and, um, and yeah, and there's obviously just endless benefits to that in terms of uh, environment, but also social um, creates different communities, all sorts of different things, but they, they, they do a really nice job actually of, um, of bringing together different um success stories and they i think there's quite a lot of stories around like some of the forests in japan finland have come through really strong in terms of some of the stuff that they've they've done also around like education like i think that um uh children in finland uh spend something like uh 20 of their time maybe more like outdoors learning like all children yeah it's so amazing and actually like there's loads of what was super interesting is they uh they also talked about the dynamic of um and even like playgrounds versus the wild. So they, they talked about um, in a playground, like uh, young girls would be significant, would, would be running around significantly less versus uh, wilderness playgrounds, if that makes sense. So like wow. when, it's, when, when it's the wild, like the wild, like in a, in a fairly controlled environment, uh, sure. um, then tr- children are acting in a very equal manner and therefore exercising in very, very similar amount. But when you create a very structured playground, 
you end up with uh, a massive over-index in like the young boys, for example, who are perhaps running around a bit more than young girls. So there's so much stuff. It got me so yeah. excited. And I was like, but it's, it's really, and, and this is, it's quite a nice digestible book that talks about some of these studies, which um, I found really interesting. I think a lot of that stuff is in the second half. So if you want to save yourself some time, you can almost skip ahead. Um, oh, but, uh, awesome. but it's, but uh, yeah, I, I think that's really cool that you're working on that. Uh, and I think that that's like a big need for, cities around the world to be honest like we really need to rethink how we how our spaces are are being used and i think yeah if you can film some of that that's amazing and i think that could be super super yeah i would love to see that type of content come through yeah i'm hoping to figure it out and i hope that i can figure out a way i do think that um i think that cycling is is part of the solution to a lot of the kind of modern problems facing really you know most sort of global north developed nations um but especially within urban areas uh, and a, a lot of sort of almost big cities like seattle isn't fully you know it's a big city but it's not <laughs> yeah yeah it's not so dense yet uh and and with that the growing pains that come with that are really interesting and and especially a city where the weather is you know sort of famously uh not great for <laughs> a lot of the year uh, how do you get people out of cars and onto bikes and kind of interacting with the city in that way? And I think, yeah, one of the things that you can do is is reintroduce a lot of the natural world and in green spaces and, and better bike infrastructure. And yeah, so I'm, I, I find all these things to be like, I'm really interested in, in these kind of stories. And the right now I'm just in the process of how do you tell it in a way that, you know, is yeah. not talking heads sort of like what we're talking about right now, where it is like what you're talking about with this book, where it's one thing to have an expert explain why it's good. It's another thing to be able to follow along in real time with a person who's living the experience of either oh, in space. And, and so it's like finding the right stories to focus in on to, to tell the story. Yeah. And I guess that's probably, arguably the toughest part of the job is yeah. like just like that sounds really 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 tough to uh to pull that together wow super interesting um probably just have one final question if that's all right for you yeah. uh i get like i really appreciated hearing your story and like the, the kind of path you've been on if you were to give kind of one piece of advice for someone who's i don't know maybe like looking to change something up or pursue like a passion career almost in the way that you've done what what would that piece of advice be <laughs> um can i give two pieces of advice yeah absolutely yeah i would the the one this is like maybe a more the more slightly more cynical side but i, I think i i believe this and it is to if you want to be able to make sort of these decisions to focus more on passion projects to live a life that you know, is more oriented around whether, whether that's bike trips, whether it's making the kind of films that you want to make, I think, and, you know, this is well documented stuff, but like not quite being a minimalist, but if you never raise your standard of living to a certain (laughs) point, (laughs) yeah, you're afforded like a certain level of flexibility and, and obviously like, there's a lot of different factors that go into that. But one thing that I've made a, a conscious effort is, is to, I'm, and, you know, I'm no like monastic kind of, I'm, I'm not a monk, you know, I, I live like, especially globally considered like an exceptionally privileged life. But within that, I've always sought to kind of keep costs low across the board and within that to be able to, you know, if you have a couple months or whatever, where you're, you know, not getting the kind of projects you want, um, where you can be less concerned with, okay, actually, you know, I can't do this anymore. I need to take whatever full, this full-time job to, to offset it. And so again, that's like, a, a, it's a little bit silly of a piece of advice because again, there are so many factors that, that can go into that, but I've just have found in my life that kind of trying 100%. to pay, you know, 
the smallest amount of rent that I can, like doing all these things is his, his helped enable when, you know, if you're again, just like if a year, for example, like during the COVID pandemic, right. Is like, for example, where video production suddenly disappeared, it was gone. Right. Yeah. And if I had, you know, been in a slightly different living situation, I probably would have had to, at least for a while, switch and do something else because there's, it just wasn't happening. Um, yeah. So that's one thing. <laughs> um, no, no, I think that's, uh, no, that's really important. I think people, especially the way that we're, I mean, I can only talk from my own experience, but like, if I like a lot when I was growing up in the UK, there was so much talk and pressure of like, you need to get on the, the housing ladder and this type of thing. And, um and very like a lot of pressure very soon for people to be like you need to save your money for a deposit and then you need to buy and then if not like you're going to be in trouble and it's like honestly like it's it's not necessarily a great piece of advice because um i would what's the saying again like the more pieces of stuff you own the more it owns you and yep. um and, it, and it's so true <laughs> like if you just don't have the ability to drop things then yeah you're going to be living a pretty stressful life where you don't have necessarily a lot of options um yeah as as, yeah. Ni- as nice as it is to own this really nice car and this really nice house and all the other things that come with that it brings very 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 different challenges exactly yeah. and you know it's you see it happen all the time and you yeah. know again it it's neither way is is better or worse right it's it's just there are different ways and if you are the kind of person who you know if, if having being able to take on sort of lower paying projects that are more aligned with your ideals yeah. is important to you, then that's just the way to, to do that. Um, the other thing that I would say is again, within that same vein, um, if you are able to being able to, to kind of take a chance, whether it's within a small scale, but setting car, being able to carve that time, whether you're, you know, when I first did that uh, longer bike tour, Keys to Freeze, that was sort of the first version of trying to tell environmental stories, combining this bike element, um, you know, that was born out of having sort of a more steady job, saving money, and then like sort of taking this chance. And, and I think that's always easier said than done. And, but I think if you have an idea and you can sort of hone in on an idea that you believe in and you think is oriented around the type of stories that you want to tell, whether you know maybe it's not clear that there's a path to tell those stories in the future, but trying to figure out like what that idea is and then how can you execute on it in sort of a cost-effective and efficient way, uh, I think is really worth doing. And uh, I've been thinking about this a lot specifically because that's sort of where I'm at with this project that I was just talking about the, the Seattle wilderness project is thinking about, okay, at least currently, like I'm not going to get paid to start this. Right. I mean, eventually, you know, you hope that down the line, some way you can bring in funding to sort of offset costs, but at least to start just thinking about, okay, I can take this job and then, within like that'll give me a little bit more flexibility to kind of go shoot this thing just on my own time um and so setting yourself up to be able to like pursue that and 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 get the groundwork yeah i think that that is good and the last thing i'll say is if you have any sort of inkling towards solo bike adventure i would tell anybody to to give it a go it's one of the most like i i cherish it the experiences i've had by myself sort of out in the woods on a bicycle for a few days is has has been invaluable to me so that was a lot amazing of a lot, maybe too much no, advice no. <laughs> that's that's all good advice all good advice hey that was uh that was amazing anything else we should quickly cover i feel like we could have went on a few different different topics but i really appreciated the, the stuff that we did talk about but yeah anything else we should quickly cover uh no i mean i don't know i again just that that last bit that if you're just have any curiosity in in bike touring and in bike travel or even bike commuting i just think that's niche worth worth scratching it's it's one of the one of the the finer things and yeah again it's a thing that's can be relatively 
relatively cheap and it's just a, a good way to get out and, and kind of see different things and, and get into nature. Amazing. Wow. Brie, that was awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah, I really thanks, appreciate Karen. it. And I uh, hope we can connect uh, at some point again, relatively soon, I guess. If you ever make, yeah. uh, make it back out here for some bike touring, let me know. I'll yeah. do the same. Are you, where, <laughs> where in Switzerland are you? In Bern. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. lived I've actually, in we... Zurich for three years as a kid. Oh, did you? Oh, yeah. wow. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Strong. Let's continue this quickly after I switch this off. Uh, oh, yeah. All right. Good. Thanks for it. Thanks very much. I'll speak to you soon. Thank you for listening, everyone. Beyond the Adventure is available on all major podcast platforms, or you can visit beyondtheadventure.com for all the relevant links. If you get a moment, please share with your friends and family. And finally, if you or someone you know would like to come onto the podcast, please reach out to me either by email on gareth at beyondtheadventure.com through the website of beyondtheadventure.com or reach out via my personal social media. My handles across Twitter, Instagram and LinkedIn are all garethbrownuk. Thanks again, everyone, and bye for now.